Welcome back to One Nail at a Time, Insights for Building Your Patient's Medical Home. I'm Lori. And I'm Michelle, and we are with the Alberta Medical Association. Michelle, you had an opportunity to visit a patient's medical home. I don't know that there's yeah. any better way that I could say it. Yeah, yeah, it's a really interesting one, and, and I have to say, and <laughs> I hope Dr. Osford will forgive me, but but he is one of our more seasoned and mature family <laughs> physicians in Alberta, and yet he is on the cutting edge of some of this work, especially the, the technology side of things. Well, this is definitely another gem-filled podcast, Michelle, and you know, you named the topic as patient-centered interactions, and we're talking about those implementation mm-hmm. elements. And I think I really had the realization as I was listening to this, I'm like, this isn't about patient-centered interactions. This is about organized evidence-based care. This is about access. And then I thought, wow, the patient's medical home and all of the implementation elements are make it patient-centered. The, the care that is given in a truly functioning patient's medical home makes it patient-centered. So even if you don't consciously think about creating patient-centered care, if you work on all the other elements, you're automatically going to be patient-centered. That's what I heard. Ah, interesting. So the other interesting thing that happened with this podcast is I sat down, of course, I wasn't there with you when you yes. recorded it. <laughs> I sat down to listen to it at the breakfast table and uh, my husband came and sat down with his breakfast as I was listening. And about two thirds of the way through the footage, he said, is this in Canada? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Not only it's in your backyard. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. So interesting to think about what patients mm-hmm. are expecting uh, from the healthcare system. Yeah. I know. I know. I, I'm, I was feeling very jealous of uh, Carla and Dr. Osford's patients because, boy, would I love to have access to a patient portal. So without further ado, let's, let's get into it. Let's do it. Dr. Alan Osford and Carla Vermeer, thank you so much for inviting me to your clinic. And uh, I'm really interested to hear what you've been doing uh, around that uh, pillar of patient's medical home called patient-centered care. So before we get started, I'll just take a moment to ask you to each introduce a little bit about who you are and what you do. My name is Carla and I'm a registered nurse, an RN, and way back in time I was med surgical nurse in the hospital, but for the last 17 years or so I've been working primary care most of the time, and in particular specializing in chronic diseases, the complex patients here in a primary care setting, here in a private family practice clinic. Um, So working um, within the context of our primary care network, PCN. So I am seconded to this clinic from the Mm. PCN, but I've been working in this clinic with Dr. Osford and his associates for about 17 years now. Wow. You guys must know each other fairly well by now, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, I think we, we can interrupt each other or finish each other's sentences very, very well, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm Alan Osford. I'm a family physician, uh, graduate from the U of A class of 1979, back mm-hmm. when they first built the original Fort Edmonton. <laughs> uh, I'm involved uh, in family medicine for 38 years. We teach residents, we teach medical students. Our clinic is a community-based clinic. We are fee-for-service. Uh, we are also associated with the Edmonton West Primary Care Network. Great. Well, I we had a little, like a brief chat before we started recording, and uh, and there's so much ex- 
exciting stuff that you're doing. So where would you like to get started? What, what stands out to you as a, an important component of your patient-centered approach? I think, you know, we, we took advantage and listened to some of the other podcasts and looked at some of the things that were covered and, and we're really impressed with a lot of the work that was discussed sort of thing, the Lee Green stuff in terms of the research and everything. Our approach, I think we talk sometimes about something called the three T's Mm -hmm. as we look at where we're going in in evolving our medical home. I think we have a medical home. The issue is it's a continuous thing that we're evolving and moving forward on. Um, The first T stands for teams, right? And it's all about a a team-based approach team being where the patient is an integral part of the team. They don't participate with the team. They are part of the team. Uh, we have a smaller core, which is probably primary care nurse, family physician, medical office assistant, and patient. And then we take a step out to other people in, in terms of, say, our receptionists, our students, our residents, our other physicians that cross cover for us. Our next step out might be their primary care network and all the involvement that we have that way. Mm-hmm. And then the next step out, maybe if we're doing a referral, say, to a surgeon or whatever and each of those are a layer of an onion skin where the patient is always right in the very center of that core Hmm. our second T we like to talk about is technology And it's mainly because it's an, an enabler. Uh, we don't want to overfocus technology. Technology is very important. We leverage it in a huge way. We've always been very, very interested in development work in technology in most of the major projects in the province. And then the third T is sort of the term we use tailored or sometimes targeted. Mm-hmm. In other words, how do we make it unique to the patient that we're seeing that this medical home sort of works with them? Right. And I don't know, Carla, if that. That totally resonates. And that we work as a team and like we were chatting and laughing earlier we it's kind of seamless patients see us as uh, a team um, I may be a seeing a patient on my own for a day but I need maybe a question a pertinent thing came out of that appointment I could pull Dr. Osford in or mm-hmm. pop him into an exam room that same day vice versa he may be with a patient say hey Carlin can, needs to help me with this and we can do that back and forth whether it's scheduled or not and that's a real open team approach. It's not just about roles and positions. It's about um, communicating, trusting each other, and being flexible to work yeah. together as a team. Wonderful. Let's zero in on one of those T's. Tell me about um, when you, how you take that targeted, tailored approach. Okay, so we could use an example from today. Mm-hmm. Patient we saw two hours ago. Okay. Okay. Patient coming in. Uh, she has frontal dementia. The family is very much struggling in terms of dealing with caring for her at home. Uh, her husband is doing everything he can. The daughter is involved. A lot of other things have come into play uh, where there's been a recent injury, there's been problems in terms of taking meds, all the rest of it. Uh, first thing we do in our morning sort of huddle where we talk about whether we need to do anything is say, okay, Mrs. So-and-so is coming in. I think we need to do this and this and this. What do you think? And in knowing the patient, knowing their family, knowing what resources they have, and leveraging what we have in terms of all of our information systems, we came up with a plan ahead of time mm-hmm. of what we're going to do in terms of who's going to take which because the three daughters and the, the, father, the husband were coming in. And, you know, Carla worked with one group and I worked with the other group. And then we actually switched over sort of thing as we were doing things because we knew if we had them all in the same room talking about things, we would have a minor explosion mm-hmm. knowing this family. Yeah. Right? So I think, you know, the the every one of those T's came into play. But the issue was was that, you know, if you get to know your patients well and they get to know you well, mm-hmm. you're leveraging that relationship. Right, 
Right. So I'm hearing you've got good continuity with your patients. I'm also hearing that you're very proactive. You huddle and it sounds like you anticipate what's coming and you have a plan to manage that. And sometimes that huddle can be not a formal face-to-face. Sometimes Mm -hmm. that huddle is a virtual huddle in the sense that I come in, I I look ahead of time in the morning, who's Mm -hmm. seen Dr. Osford today? Oh, that one I can help out with. Hmm, that one, there's some stuff we need to top. I want to optimize that visit for that patient today so they don't have to come again next week or next right. month. Yeah. So I can that can be virtually and then I can add it to my schedule or Dr. Osford can do the same as well. Who that so-and-so is going to come in, he'll call. And maybe it's just by typing a message because we use technology. We're in different rooms, not necessarily even in the same building some days. I may be here, he may be downtown or across the province at a meeting, and we can do virtual planning for the day as well. So it isn't always a in-person huddle. Sometimes it is when we have to really, you know, dive into deep or take time. But often it's it's very informal. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't actually have a sort of first thing in the morning, we will sit down every day and do something. We do it on the fly. Yeah. And that, and that's, again, because we've worked together for so long, because we have a more of a leadership model in what mm-hmm. we do than a management model mm-hmm. in how we work on these things. And mm-hmm. it, it works well for us. Great. Well, and before when we were talking, you had also mentioned um, in your sort of targeted approach with patients how uh, screening, you know, how you're, instead of sort of, um, waiting for patients to come in and say, well, I think I'm due for some screening. How do you how do you take a proactive approach there? So we have more than one way that we approach that. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways is when a patient's attending us, our electronic medical record system can actually notify us if they're due for something. They may be due for a pap test or a mammogram because it hasn't been recently done. And so we get a flag literally as we're seeing the patient. Mm-hmm. Another way we will do it is for those patients we don't see who are due yeah, for us. Yeah, those are the ones. We'll run reports. Yeah. yeah. So we'll basically say, show me all my patients that haven't had a certain test done in a certain time period, and it'll generate a list. Mm-hmm. And then from that list, we can contact the patient. Sometimes I hand it to Carla, who graciously takes care of all of that for us. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we can message the patients if they're due for it as well. Yeah. Sometimes the patients are messaging us about that as well, using mm-hmm. the patient portal. Right. Right. Yes. Patient portal. We want to go there too. That's uh, that's pretty cool stuff. But what you were saying just makes me think. You know, if I was if I had to rely on my own brain to remember when my dog needs to go in for his shots, or when my car needs to go in for an oil change, or all of those things, um, I would say our screening is equally important, if not significantly more important. And so, it's great. I think as a patient, I would feel um, I'd feel very confident knowing that it's not all relying on me to remember when when I'm due for for things and even with the shifting guidelines it's it's well guidelines shift but sometimes patients also need to learn Mm. we we want them in the center I don't want them to just blindly trust that we're handling it all for them Mm. we do care plans with our patients and we say hey you know these are the certain health conditions we're targeting but beyond that these are general screening things or interventions this is what should be happening over the next year two years three years five years whatever and they have to they get to learn not that they have to learn they get to learn about what is needed for their care and they can self-manage as well so it's coming both ways, but it's teaching. Right, it's kind of empowering them to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, to to be part of that team. I like that. Yeah, and you know the 
uh, screening is one thing, reminders are another thing, and we tend to separate them out just because they have different functions, even though to the patient it appears to be said the same thing. Screening means they're due for something where they have no symptoms mm -hmm. and we're simply screening and it's done at a certain interval, and if it isn't, we try and get them in at some time. Reminders are different. Reminders are where something has been shown to be abnormal and we need to repeat it. Mm. Uh, it might be a repeat colonoscopy because of a previous tumor or previous polyp. Uh, it might be an abnormal pap, so we need to do one sooner and make sure that we're targeting them that way. And so we also have, you know, good technology around our reminder lists, mm -hmm. but we also don't just trust the technology. So we may put someone on a reminder list and then they sort of assume we're going to take care of it. Mm -hmm. Anytime we put someone on a reminder list, we also phone and notify them and say, mm -hmm. although you're on our reminder list, we're yeah. also telling you in six months you need this done in case you move away or in case your phone number changes or in case there's some way we can't contact you, we want you to also take ownership of the need for that reminder. Hmm. So we do a little of both. Yeah, that's great. And then sometimes that would be patient by patient. So, and then there's other approaches. We take a step back, although it's patient-centric, it's multi-patients. So we have lists, we have panels of maybe certain conditions. Maybe it's diabetes, maybe it's thyroid patients, maybe it's COPD, lung disease patients. And they need certain interventions at a three-month, six-month annual check, whatever the condition is. And that can be shown on a patient list with the indicators that are pertinent to a condition showing up say, oh, they're due for this. You can sort your list and see who's done, who is due for something yeah. or has had something done. Maybe you were somewhere else. So, oh, it's already done or it's above target or below target. We need yeah. to act on it. Yeah. So it's not just one patient looking at a time. We can do that same intervention at a whole hundred patients at a time. Right. Yeah, very efficient. And so there's one aspect of how you're using technology, your other T. We're dying to hear about that patient portal, though. Tell us, tell us about that. So we're pretty lucky. We have we have a very robust patient portal that is very intimately attached to our electronic medical record system, mm -hmm. and. What it means is, first of all, patients have a whole bunch of functions available. They can book appointments online. They can securely message us at any time. They can see all of their lab results, not mm -hmm. just some of their lab results. They can see all of their diagnostic imaging results. They can see their profile in terms of medications, what the medications are for, their allergies, their last immunizations, mm -hmm. all of those things that we keep on the sort of patient snapshot in our EMR is available to the patient for them to see. Mm -hmm. um, one of the nice things about that is we can communicate back and forth asynchronously, it doesn't have to be in real time, uh, with context. So yeah. all the context of what we're doing, what we're talking about is there sort of thing. So we do lots of virtual type visits. You know, with, with my work, uh, with the province, with IT, and with Carla's work as well, is, is, you know, we're here essentially three full days a week with a full panel of 1,300 patients. Yeah. And yet on the, on the Wednesday for me and the Friday for me, I'm still doing probably three hours of active patient care mm -hmm. via these virtual tools. Hmm. Just not in the clinic face-to-face -face with the patient. And the portal allows us to do that. Right. Now, I know someone you know, hearing this might be thinking they could see some potential risks mm -hmm. in that. What did you find when you first started? Were you worried about any of those things? Well, the, the natural assumption is as soon as you give patient the ability to set up a chat with mm -hmm. you at any time, mm -hmm. in, uh, that you're going to get overwhelmed. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, our experience has been that is very rare. There are a few patients sometimes, that, you know, the worried well, sometimes yeah. people with anxiety disorders, uh, where you may have to sort of sit down with them and tell them what's appropriate use and what's not appropriate use. The other thing we have to make sure that they are aware of is this is not for urgent type situations. So right. if, if you're having chest pain and you can't breathe, don't send me a message yeah. where I may reply to you tomorrow on right. it. That, that's yeah. an urgent one. Phone us or if you need to, go into Emerge. But our experience has been it's very rare that we have patients abuse it. In fact, most patients will apologize for using it, even though they have very appropriate questions that don't need an in-person visit. So it increases our capacity. We can see right. other patients instead, yeah. and yet it still meets the need of the patient. And and they're messaging you all the time, right? Yeah, they're often there. They can be entering their blood sugars at home, mm-hmm. and then we can review it by phone. So they don't have to drive <laughs> across yeah. the city, yeah. find parking, get here to come for yeah. an appointment. I can do that virtually, see what they've been entering. We can plan to do that, or they can enter things and I can do a call out to them. Or th- we can set it up in such a way that if they're entering something that all of a sudden is, oh, Matt, those are low blood sugars or high blood sugars, what's going on? It pings us mm-hmm. in an in-basket message and we can say, hey, what's going on? I see that you're having some lows recently. Mm-hmm. What's changed? Or do we need to adjust it? Like I can do an outreach call. Yeah. And that actually happened with a patient. Um, Dr. Osford in the morning came in and said, oh, I've got a patient who's got some lows. Can Let's give him a call. So I phoned him. He said, well, how did you know? I said, well, you entered the numbers. And he says, well, I'm skiing this weekend. And he was on a weight loss plan, needing less insulin, but now was doing an unusual activity Uh, with exertion. So we changed his insulin there on the fly. He was in Jasper Hmm. on a mountain, literally, and he had a safe holiday, came back, and we continued to monitor. Wow. But that's a virtual visit. Like, how cool is that? Well, yeah, and talk about patient-centered, too. Um, You know, when the patient doesn't have to schlep all the way into the clinic to get that. Yeah. The other thing I like about the portal is it gives access. We talked about giving access to a medical home. We want to be available. Yeah. Our whole premise is, you know, when we were listening to some of the pods, people were saying I was had such a backlog. It was hard to get in to see me. Mm-hmm. We've increased access by virtual visits, but also because people can now um, online cancel an appointment mm-hmm. or ah, book an appointment. That's right. a huge thing. So if it's Friday night, 9 o'clock at night, and they realize, oh, shoot, I've got an appointment Monday morning with Dr. Osford. I won't be there. Now it's not a no-show. They can go online and cancel it. Somebody else who's at home on the weekend weekend, Mm -hmm. says there's an open spot can book it. So we have just increased access, which I think is so cool. And so you're spending less time managing the booking and more time focusing on other things like your proactive approach. And you asked about the risks or concerns with that. I mean, we love that activity. Wouldn't a patient, don't we all want to have that functionality? (laughs) But there's clinicians say, oh, but what if they book it wrong? Well, our receptionists get a list of who is booking online uh-huh. and they can check to make sure it's appropriate so if there's any issues they can correct it uh, so the okay. risk has been okay. mitigated yeah now I know I again I try to put myself in the seat of someone who's listening to this and I suppose if I were a clinician I might be wondering how are you billing for all this virtual work so some of it we're allowed to bill for and some of it we're not uh, when patients message us, there actually is a billing code mm-hmm. uh, for those doctors that are out there. It's a 03.01S. It pays $20 per sort of communication. Mm-hmm. You can't do it and also see a patient within the same week and bill both things. Okay. I think there is a limit as to how many you can bill per week as well, but there is some fee for performance or service attached to that. It's not a huge dollar value, mm-hmm. but it offsets the fact that you are doing that extra work. A little right. bit, sort of thing. And I guess if you're seeing a lot of those patients um, doing those those 
quick things virtually that opens up space for the more challenging patients to come into you. Uh, so do you find it balances or do you notice a big difference? It does. I mean, having been in practice for the number of years that, that I've been in practice for, I mean, our practice has aged with us. So yeah. so the complexity level for our practice, uh, you know, is we, we have far more seniors than we do, sort of younger population with a lot more requirements. So, you know, it's very rare to have a visit in the, in the clinic that doesn't involve at least three significant issues that mm-hmm. you're dealing with rather than one sort of thing. So if we can deal with these smaller things where it doesn't have to be a face-to-face, yeah. it frees up more time to do that better job the other way sort of thing yeah makes sense I want to finish this up by asking each of you what your best piece of advice would be for a clinic that is you know maybe inspired by what you've been talking about and and thinking they might want to try something new along those lines so what what advice would you give them I think uh, a big advice is just pause take Mm -hmm. a step back and decide what do you want to accomplish Uh, I really don't try to boil the ocean (laughs) Don't try to nail all the nails in the building. Uh, j- take take time to really think what you want to accomplish and then just start knocking off some ideas. And try mm-hmm. it. may be a simple start. You may be a very optimized clinic already and you may be able to really dive into some complex stuff. Mm-hmm. But if you've never done anything, just what do you want to accomplish? You want to accomplish screenings? Okay, let's come up with a plan. You want to accomplish managing a specific uh, condition in a panel of patients? Target that. You want to focus on children, palliative care, whatever. <laughs> Pick whatever you want to target yeah. and start working on it. And then that process actually can be leveraged for the next thing you want to do. Right, because it all kind of carries forward, doesn't it? I like that. The other advice I would say is leverage your team. Continue mm-hmm. to leverage. And as, as a physician and as a nurse, we work together very well, but we leverage our receptionists. We leverage our MOAs. Like we, we utilize them mm-hmm. when, when things are coming up. And, and they feel a part of it as well. Yeah. Um, not just feel, they are a yeah. part of it. Yeah. They, they know, like, I've got these 200 patients I'm trying to contact. They can do maybe 150 of them, but these 50, Carl, I'm struggling with how to communicate this to them. I'll do those ones, the trickier ones. So you, you work within the scope of who's on your team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and let them work to the best of their ability within the scope of what they can handle. Awesome. Dr. Osford. So I think the main message I would put out there is create some protected time. Uh-huh. doesn't mean you have to create a huge amount of time, but if you don't protect time to do your teamwork planning mm-hmm. and sit down you know, with your group and work through that, uh, you're never really going to, you're going to accomplish some small one-offs, but you're never going to have a coordinated approach and sort of evolve it over time. So creating protected time is really important. I mentioned the leadership versus management model. The idea when you have a good team is that anyone can be at any time the leader. It's not that there's a single leader. The idea that the physician is the manager mm-hmm. senior and then there's a middle manager nurse and yeah. whatever, that's just not true. So at any time you take that baton of leadership and hand it to a person who's best suited to take the lead on that item. So you protect your time, identify who's going to take leads in various initiatives based on their skill sets and leverage that. Yeah, fantastic. Well, this has been a very inspiring peek into your world. Um, thank you so much for sharing your time. And uh, we look forward to for perhaps hearing from you again in the future because I think there's more, there's more we could talk about. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. 
Check out the show notes for links to the tools, resources, and websites that were referenced in this podcast. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a comment, tell us what you thought and what you'd like to hear more about. And until next time, grab your hammer and keep building one nail at a time.